This is Steady Habits, a Connecticut Mirror podcast. It's where we take a look at life here in the land of steady habits, what works, what doesn't, and how to make things work just a little bit better. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks so much for joining me. Last Wednesday night, I interviewed Governor Ned Lamont as part of a special Connecticut Mirror Zoom conversation. We had a live audience, and they sent me dozens of questions to ask the governor about where the state stood with pandemic response, vaccine distribution plans, and aid to businesses and individuals who are struggling through this economic downturn. If you didn't get a chance, you can go back and listen to part one for answers to those questions. But we talked about a lot of other stuff too. We looked ahead at the rest of a school year that is going to depend on that pandemic response. We talked on the day that the Lamont administration announced it would provide access to laptops and high-speed internet for all students in the state. We also addressed some of the governor's legislative priorities, including transportation funding. I asked him about expanding health care in the state, including the possibility of a public option, his response to racial inequities raised by the killing of George Floyd, and about his promise to provide middle-income tax relief. We'll start part two of our conversation with me asking Governor Lamont about something that's on the minds of a lot of Americans, a UBS bank study that showed that global billionaires had seen their wealth increase by more than 25% during the pandemic. That increased wealth includes billionaires who live right here in Connecticut. I know it is not lost on you that there have been a number of uh, stories written, a number of studies done about who has suffered most during this pandemic and who has gained the most. Billionaires in this country have accrued far more wealth than they had previously, by and large. And people who are not billionaires have suffered. Many have lost their jobs. Uh, Many of them are never going to recover their small businesses. Is now the time to start to think about raising taxes on the richest individuals in the state who have done better than all the rest of us? Now's the time to uh, think about raising taxes on the richest individuals in the country. I think it's uh, really dumb to do it um, just by the state. We already have some of the highest income tax rates uh, in the country, and um, we we pay a price for that. Uh, That said, I was a strong supporter of Joe Biden. Joe Biden said um, we've got glaring deficits. We're shortchanging the underserved, and I think uh, the wealthy and the corporations are going to have to do a little bit more. So rather than totally disadvantage the state of Connecticut, just when we have some competitive advantage of people are moving here, I do support what you're saying broadly in terms of uh, what you got to do at the federal level, where I think it makes a lot more sense. But I also just tell you, um, you know, you look at how this pandemic is hitting people. Uh, it uh, hits, um, you know, not just the elderly, but it hits people of color particularly hard. Uh, a lot of pre-existing conditions. Uh, we really realize um, the incredible health disparities and how they uh, impact the different communities in our state. I take that to heart. If you want to know, um, if we used to say, you know, universal health care is a good idea, it was sort of a slogan. It's no slogan. It is um, absolutely vital to your health and the public health to get this right. And uh, that's something uh, I'd love to see the federal government step up on doing a serious way. And if they're not, we're going to think about it here at the Connecticut level. Well, but you may have to think about it because I can't see that a Joe Biden administration with what is likely to be a GOP Senate is going to do anything in the next four years or two years that's going to move in that direction. And the state of Connecticut might need to pull that trigger much sooner. Um, I don't know, Governor, you might not be able to wait for them. 
I got to take a different point of view. I, 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 this country cannot have four years of gridlock and uh, we can't get it done. The state can't have four years of gridlock and I can't figure out what to do about transportation and pensions. And it's a 10 times more severe at the federal level. The number of things that just stop dead and don't get addressed is intolerable. Public health is a uh, front and center. So if after uh, 12 months of a knee knocking uh, pandemic that killed uh, you know hundreds of thousands of people, our neighbors, our friends, our family, the federal government can't figure out how to put their partisan biases into a, a suitcase and step up for six months. I really worry about our future. I, I, I completely, I hear you and I completely do too. I guess my, my question is at some point though, does the state have to say, we may have to give up our competitive advantage on, on tax rates for the richest individuals because people in our state are suffering in a way that we need to fund. We need to find the money here because those bozos aren't going to do it. I'm not worthy on that, John. I mean, I started out by saying we haven't added a new job in 35 years and GE's leaving and other folks are leaving and uh, we can't get our fiscal house in order and last one out, turn out the lights. That's a state we sort of heard a lot about uh, going back a couple of years. I'm doing my best to turn around. I'm doing my best to turn around the attitude and perception of the state, make it a place where people want to be, make it a place that has great schools. Our schools are open. They're not open in some of these other states. I think that's a big plus. Uh, I'm putting my money where my mouth is when it comes to education and making those investments going forward. But being competitive and being a place where people want to work and start up businesses is part of making Connecticut a great state. So what happens with schools, do you think, Governor? What, what is your plan for keeping them open, as you've said, as long as you possibly can? Given the fact that we're going through this holiday season, a lot of schools are going to take some time off. What are you hoping to see out of the K-12 through schools in the state in order to stay open as much as they possibly can? Well, I think of the book in chapters, and uh, now it's the post-Thanksgiving. We've got, say, uh, two and a half weeks up to uh, the holiday season when everything is going to shut down sort of naturally. I'd like to see the schools stay open as long as they can. We've got volunteers or um, apprentice teachers in the classroom backing up the uh, senior teachers. We've got, a, a, you know, today we announced that we've got um, – I think it's about 150 laptops out there in the field, along with free internet service for our most um, disadvantaged kids. So that those that can't go to school, don't feel comfortable, go to school, living with the grandparents, so they don't feel like that's the right thing to do. They're able to learn online. You know, I, I get it. Online is not nearly as good as what you can do in the classroom. The kids I hear from all the time, those that are at home, we call it quarantine. They call it isolation. So they need that social interaction. We're doing everything we can, you know, month at a time. In January, let's say we got more people with a vaccine. Let's say by the end of January, we start able to vaccinate more of the teachers. I'd like to think we can get back to a new normal soon thereafter. A lot of people who I'm assuming are teachers have been sending me notes saying that one of the problems with schools being open is that many of them are not equipped anywhere near as well as they should be. Uh, people aren't necessarily following guidelines. They don't have the air handling capacity to be able to uh, filter the air properly. What do you say to those teachers who are going into work in what they consider to be dangerous conditions? It, um, all of our numbers show it still has um, some of the lowest infection rates uh, in the state. Uh, much safer for a kid in that third grade classroom than home uh, remote learning, believe it or not. 
we went to all the superintendents early in the summer and said, tell us what you need and we'll provide the resources. Connecticut devoted more of its CARES Act federal money to schools than virtually any other state in the country, made it just an absolute priority. I'm sorry, nothing is gonna be perfect and nothing's gonna be 100% safe in this uh, lousy uh, COVID environment, but you gotta know we're doing everything we can in those schools and I think we're showing some real success there. You, you did announce today that every public school student in Connecticut will have the technology to be able to log in to learn remotely during the pandemic. Uh, your administration says it's the first state in the nation to do this. And that seems like a really good step here, making sure that kids can learn at home. One thing we found, though, is that an awful lot of kids who are learning at home actually aren't showing up. So you, you are making it possible for them, but we don't have people attending school at anywhere near the levels that, that they need to. How do we address this other issue? It's a little better than that. I mean, we're able to track who's logging on. And, um, you know, it is probably, at least according to Nick Simmons, is doing the analysis about uh, 95%. Uh, they're on for um, maybe four hours. You may say, well, that's not as good as seven hours, which is, uh, you know, a normal school day. But it, it's pretty good and that close to the curriculum. It, you, But you're right. I'm also looking at a lot of data from around the country and I see uh, kids are falling behind. And uh, so I'm not going to pretend for a nanosecond that this works for everybody, and in particular for some of our most uh, disadvantaged kids, it breaks my heart. And we got some towns where they never opened the schools at all. Those kids have not been in school for uh, seven or eight months now. I mean, those are seven or eight months that's tough to ever get back. You said 95%. 95% of what? Uh, 95% of the kids who are remote learning log on. Um, I think that's on a daily basis. Really? Because I mean, I, I've heard, depending on the school district, much, much lower numbers than that. An awful lot of kids not attending very often at all. And that's something that is obviously going to be district to district. Some of the more disadvantaged uh, school districts are going to have much lower numbers. I assume that's the sort of thing that you're trying to uh, mitigate by making sure that everyone has the technology in schools to be able to learn at home. Yeah, uh, we, we can't mitigate for all those variables, but we've tried our best. Here's the box. We're training your parents, although you don't need much help in terms of how we're doing this, setting this curriculum up. We're providing free monthly service for uh, relatively high-speed internet. We commuted, uh, we created about 160, I think it is, uh, hot spots around the state, our libraries, so other places people can get access. And by the way, John, it's about education, but it's about telehealth it's about um uh communication i mean what rural electrification was in the 1930s i think internet is to the uh, 2020s i think that's something we've learned in the last uh, 12 months if we didn't know it before that sort of sounds like something that sh the state should be thinking about for the next couple of years post-COVID, if there's something that we've learned, it's that making sure that we actually have the technology to be able to learn and work from wherever is more important now than ever. Is that one of your main priorities coming up in this, say, next legislative session? Yes, absolutely. I mean, every not everybody, but people are rediscovering Connecticut. Let's say um, our small towns and sleepy suburbs were not ideal for the hit metropolitan kids uh, going back the last 10, 15 years. I got kids, I hear it all the time. Now we have tens of thousands of people moving back to Connecticut. A lot of them are young, young families. 
they're finally they don't have to be in New York or Boston every day, but then maybe they've got to be in a Stanford or New Haven at least a couple times a week. But if you have high speed Internet access, uh, that is invaluable in terms of linking them and allowing them to work from home. So so you would make that a, a legislative priority? I mean, do you have a plan to to try to expand high speed Internet service across the state? Yeah, I mean, you maybe remember, um, you know, a year or so ago, we announced that we got a 5G on Metro North. I was really focused on transportation, of course. And so I wanted to make sure that that wasn't an hour totally wasted. So that's going to be one of the very first 5G corridors in the country. Now we're working with the telecom companies, see how we can expand that out more broadly, you know, for small towns, not just big cities. Let's talk about some of your your priorities uh, coming up, because not all the job of governor is going to be about dealing with this COVID crisis, although it must it must seem like that right now. I'll just ask you first to to step into that place where you have to think, all right, what are my other priorities other than leading the state through through this crisis? Have you have you put together a list of things that that Ned Lamont really wants to get done over the course of this next year that really don't have anything to do with the thing that we're all suffering through right now? Yeah, I mean, I came into office with a couple of goals. I mean, number one was uh, jobs. This is a state that hadn't created any net new jobs in 30 years. I just figured this was the time for us to uh, make sure people are educated for the jobs that are out there right now. There are great jobs in advanced manufacturing, life sciences, and bioscience, and fintech, and we weren't training people for those jobs. I thought this is an opportunity to raise people up and give them that best opportunity. And that's why our focus was so on education. Um, I don't think that's changed as a goal. I don't think that's changed in terms of a priority for the state of Connecticut, but sort of how I think about it is maybe a little different. Um, we have to really change, uh, train people for very specialized jobs out there right now. First, I got to get them into the classroom. And that was part of what the distance learning is. You know, a year ago, when I talked about technology, it was all about um, taking a sort of inefficient state government that was very manual and labor intensive and bring it into the 21st century with some technology investments that would be provide better customer service at less cost. Now, as we were talking about, John, technology is much broader. It's having a 5G state where everybody can telelearn, telehealth and telecommute from wherever they are in the state which makes it just as cool to be in Connecticut as it is anywhere where you can earn um, a really good living. A, a whole lot of your your term here has been talking about transportation up to this point, about tolls, about trying to get people riding the rails, not necessarily sitting in traffic. Um, and a lot of, you know, frankly, your political capital was was used on this issue of tolls over time. And I'm sure you're probably sick of talking about that. I guess my first question is, are we going to be talking about either tolls or an expanded gas tax during this upcoming legislative session? Well, let's start with the facts. You know, a year ago, um, I said, we've got a transportation fund that's going bankrupt. It'll go bankrupt in five years. People aren't driving as much. Gas prices are low. You're driving a Tesla, whatever the reason um, so we've got to deal with this. And I know it's a hard decision. I know legislature would just soon borrow or um, put it off. And I, I made a proposal. You're right. My proposal was um, electronic tolling on uh, trucks, trucks and cars, a lot of it paid for by out-of-staters. That went nowhere. What was frustrating to me, John, is legislature 
not only would they not vote on my idea, they wouldn't vote on any idea. They sort of walked away. So I've got to do a better job of working with them, sitting down with the transportation leaders, say whatever it is is not going to be politically popular. I apologize about that, but we got to make some tough choices. And part of that is how you pay for the transportation fund. Another part of that's going to be pensions. Another part of that is how we bring down health care costs. There's a lot of big stuff that nobody ever wants to deal with. They hope it goes away, at least until after the next election. And that's not what I was elected to do. So the, the possibility of having some of these same conversations in the future, uh, the, the gas tax is a, is a new way to maybe have this conversation that doesn't involve the dreaded word tolls. I'll put it a different way. Last time I led with my chin. This time I'm going to sit in a room with the uh, leaders, um, the legislative leaders, the transportation leaders, and I'll, I'll lay out five different ways that we can start dealing with the transportation in a serious way. And then you give me your best ideas. And if it's uh, rating the rainy day fund, I'll say, I'm kind of glad we didn't do that, but we can talk about it. If it's just more borrowing, I can say that's something we can talk about, but it's probably not in the best interest of the state. But I'm going to make ask them to come up with a real solution and hopefully vote on something. A last transportation question. Has any of this changed your thinking about how we invest in transportation? The idea of getting on a crowded train or a crowded bus with a bunch of other people, as good as that is for the environment or as good as that is for our planning, is not the thing that people are going to want to do anytime soon. Well, that's fair. I mean, um, driving has come back to, say, 85% of where we were pre-pandemic. Taking the train has come back at 20% of where we were pre-pandemic. To your point, people don't want to be in a subway in New York City, so they're coming out to Connecticut, and they're coming out to Connecticut, and they don't want to necessarily be on a train. So short term, what that means is I reallocate how the train cars are. Um, Metro, uh, Metro North, the MTA, they're bankrupt in New York City, right? They're absolutely bankrupt. So they're going to cut back on rail service. We figure out how we can reallocate this, not costing people money, but maybe get more service in some of the lesser occupied lines. It does make you rethink things. You mentioned the outsized impact that COVID has had on people of color. Uh, obviously, so much has happened throughout the course of this year. What is your administration's plan moving forward into this next session to address some of the systemic inequality that has really come into such sharp focus after the death of George Floyd and others and, and so many of the, the mass protests that have happened over the course of this year? Well, I mean, first of all, when it comes to health care, um, we got everybody, I mean, we did, we expanded health care coverage um, broadly over the last nine months. Um, we took testing to the communities. We took testing to the church parking lots. We're gonna take vaccinations to the same communities. Um, I, when you say, how do you prioritize who gets it? Um, you certainly don't prioritize based on wealth, my friend. You don't prioritize based on um, zip code. Uh, how is that the wrong thing to do? It is a stupid way to go. We've got to make sure everybody has coverage. And I say that more broadly about healthcare um, going forward. From that, you know, I take it to education and um, making sure that none of those kids are left behind, which is why it breaks my heart that uh, these suburban kids are going to school five days a week and they're doing it relatively safely. You go to a private school, a parochial school, a charter school, they're open. And yet the kids in some of our biggest cities don't have access to a school if they want to go there full time. That hurts them, makes it really difficult for their parents. Um, 
So you want to know where my priorities are? There are a couple. One of the things I talked to the incoming House Speaker, Matt Ritter, about is the possibility of the state actually looking at a public option this time around. We've talked about uh, health care that is expanded, that is more affordable. The health care exchange in the state is something that has extended health benefits to more people, but it's frankly fairly unaffordable to most people. I'm wondering if this is the session that you can get together with some legislative leaders and talk about uh, a public option. It depends what it means. If it means uh, buying into the state employee health care pool, uh, I looked at it when I was a small business 10 years ago and it was going to cost me a fortune. So that was not what it means. If it means um, working with the um, health insurance community, creating a preferred network where people go to uh, hospitals that have higher value at a little bit less cost and make it more affordable for everybody, sign me up. Mm. And, and, and- do you plan to talk to legislative leaders about that? I mean, is that something you want to take to them this time around, or is that something that you're you're going to wait to hear from lawmakers on? Well, no, I don't wait to hear from lawmakers. I, I sit down with the leadership, and, and they know what I think. But by the way, I, I love the legislators. I talk to them. I also talk to the hospital administrators. I also talk to the insurance guys, the health insurance guys. I say, we're the insurance capital of America. Be a leader on this. You're right. If you're going to have small business and individuals who are priced out of the market, you're darn right. The legislature is going to come up with something that sounds great called the public option. If you've got to come up with a low cost way that we can get more people insured for quality medicine. I just have a couple more minutes left with you, and I've talked about taxes a couple different times. This is a different tax question. Um, You promised when you ran for governor that you're going to provide some income tax relief to to middle-income individuals. We're not talking about tax relief for the richest uh, residents. That income tax relief relief hasn't happened yet. Is that one of the levers that can be pulled to try to get more money back into people's hands as we try to come out of this this COVID situation? Um, what I was really focused on was property tax, to tell you the truth, because we have... Um we have very high property taxes. Pro- property taxes are unrelenting. You can be laid off. You still got to pay that property tax. Um, the, the first way that I can help out municipalities when it comes to holding property taxes down or low is honoring our commitments in terms of municipal aid, in terms of uh, educational um, aid. And to that we did. We inherited a $3.7 billion deficit, and we kept faith in terms of um, – uh, aid there in terms of municipalities and education. That's a good start. You know, longer term, yep, I'd like to look at a property tax, like to look at pilot, which is paying Malua taxes, other ways to bring down the cost of middle-class taxes. But first of all, I got to balance the budget and work our way through a COVID crisis. If you could quickly get, give me one or two more priorities that you have personally that you want to get addressed during the session. Voting. Uh, I'm uh, I think we showed that we can make it easier for people to vote, absentee ballots, even early voting. We can do it safely. We can do it honestly. We can do it with integrity. And, uh, you know, maybe the primary was a dress rehearsal. The general election, it worked pretty well. And by the way, I think people liked it. They appreciated it. And this won't be the last COVID crisis we ever have. So I think that should be another priority. I really want to thank you for spending some time and for answering all these questions that came in. Hundreds of questions came in from from people, and I tried to weave as many of them in as I possibly could. But thank you again hey, John, for your time. It's, it's a tough time.
but I've never been so proud of the state of Connecticut. We have really come together. Politics is just a messy business, except when we're confronted with a crisis. And uh, I really think Connecticut has done us proud, done us proud by those uh, nurses who show up every day, the teachers in the classroom, each and every one of you um, wearing the mask. I know it's easy to say, I'm tired, um, not this time, I'm frustrated. And that's not what Connecticut's doing. And uh, if we hang in there, we hang tough another uh, four, eight weeks, uh, I really do think there's a, a goal line in sight. And it starts with a vaccine that's coming in a couple of weeks. So stick with us, we're gonna do it. Thanks, John. That's Governor Ned Lamont, recorded last Wednesday as part of a Mirror Conversation. You can go to ctmirror.org and sign up for our newsletter. That way you'll know all about our upcoming events. And please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. You can find it at steadyhabits.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. One quick note here. Because our conversation happened last Wednesday, we didn't know at the time that one of his key aides, Press Deputy Rob Blanchard, who helped to arrange our interview with the governor, would be placed into quarantine with COVID symptoms after a positive test over the weekend. We wish Rob a speedy recovery. Our event was produced by Kyle Constable. Thanks to Bruce Potterman, Beth Hamilton, Mark Pazniokas, Keith Faniff, Jacqueline Rabe-Thomas, Kellen Lyons, and Steve Busmeyer for their help. George Mastrianis and Dave Swanson provided the steady beats that we hear each week on Steady Habits. They recorded them at Legend Studios in Avon, Connecticut. I'm John Benkoski. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.